I've been reflecting on the change in the weather last days. It seems that autumn is really here now. I don't know if it happened here, but where I live, just 10 miles away, we had the first frost a couple of mornings ago. It's such a bittersweet time of year. It always seems to me that the fall is the perfect time to be on a retreat. It's as though the whole natural world is slowing down. The energies of the natural world pulling inward, letting go of outward manifestations. It's a great support in a way to see that happening in the world around us. And one of my favorite short poems that's particularly appropriate to the fall and that I think of so often in the fall goes like this. Simply trust. Don't the leaves flutter down just like that. Just watching the leaves letting go off the branches and the trees, just fluttering down. Such a great reminder about letting go, about simply trusting our own experience, the unfolding of the days, the cycles of our practice. The fall is really full of these kind of reminders to trust this natural process. One of my great joys is in having a vegetable garden. It's a real source of satisfaction for me, the whole process of it, from the beginning when the ground thaws, turning over the soil, planting seeds, and then all the weeding through the summer months, and the tending and the watering, and watching things grow, the beauty of it, and of course the pleasure that comes in harvesting my own dinner. And then it's so interesting at this time of the year to watch it all begin to die, to transition back to that brown earth again, and to just feel the rightness of it, the cyclical nature of it. Practice is much the same way. There are cycles of settling into a retreat, cycles of accessing some calm, some continuity in practice, and then things getting stirred up again, perhaps, something bubbling up, rising to the surface. 
cycles of peacefulness in practice, and then purification. Can we sense the rightness of that? I've seen often in my own practice that it's easier to trust certain parts of those cycles, the peaceful parts perhaps, and less easy to trust sometimes when some strong energy is moving through or maybe some things are stirred up. Even to think that something's wrong when hindrances are what's coming up, when there's aversion, when there's agitation, or loneliness, or longing. But there are so many cycles, so many arisings. There's less suffering if we learn to let go of judging them or trying to figure out where we are and what's happening. And to just, as best as we're able, learn to rest in the simplicity of paying attention to what is, being aware of what is unfolding, all of it. We only have to do this one moment at a time. Sometimes it's good to remember or to remind ourselves to trust that simplicity, that no matter what's arising, we can practice in a way that opens to it all that awakening is possible within every aspect of our experience, not separate from it. And if we do get derailed at times in practice, for whatever reason, maybe it's just low energy, or maybe there's some deep, old pattern that's really painful to see. One of the things that can help in those times when we feel derailed in our practice is to remember why we're here, to remember what brings us to practice, to very consciously realign with our intention. Intention is a very powerful force. The yogi Patanjali said this about aspiration. When you're inspired by some great purpose, some extraordinary project, all your thoughts break their bounds. Your mind transcends limitations. Your consciousness expands in every direction. And you find yourself in a new, great, and wonderful world. Dominant forces, faculties, and talents become alive. And you discover yourself to be a greater person by far 
than you ever dreamed you could be. The power of really aligning with our intention or our aspiration. So maybe you have a really clear aspiration, and maybe not. It's okay. Perhaps it's just that you sense the potential of a greater happiness, a deeper peace, or that you'd like to learn to become kinder with others, with yourself. It's such a basic thing, and yet it's really profound if we're very wholeheartedly aligned with that. I'd like to share with you this little story about that kind of intentionality. This is by... um, a performing artist named Laurie Anderson lives in New York City. And she says, Last fall, the Dalai Lama came to New York City to do a two-week ceremony called the Kala Chakra, which is a prayer to heal the earth. And woven into these prayers were a series of vows that he asked us to take. And before I knew it, I had taken a vow to be kind for the rest of my life. And I walked out of there and I thought, for the rest of my life? What have I done? This is a disaster. And I was really worried. Had I promised too much? Not enough? I was really in a panic. They had come from Tibet for the ceremony and they were walking around Midtown in their new brown shoes And I went up to one of the monks and said, can you come with me right now to have a cappuccino and talk? And so we went to this little Italian place. He had never had coffee before, so he kept talking faster and faster. (laughs) (laughs) And I kept saying, look, I don't know whether I promised too much or too little. Can you help? Please. And he was being really practical. He said, look, don't limit yourself. Don't be so strict. Open it up. He said, the mind is a wild white horse. And when you make a corral for it, make sure it's not too small. And another thing, when your house burns down, just walk away from it. And another thing, keep your eyes open. And one more thing, keep moving, because it's a long way home. Taking a vow to be kind for the rest of one's life. I know that what brought me to practice was really basic, really simple. It was to find out what it meant, what it really meant to be happy in this life. It's such a natural human inclination. 
And yet if we take it seriously, like that vow to be kind, it's really a powerful force. We have to really look. What does it mean to be happy in this world? It can be a a very um, supportive thing to be in touch with. But we have to be willing to really look, to keep our eyes open. The Buddha almost didn't teach, seeing that there were so few people with just a little dust in their eyes who might be able to see clearly the way to a true happiness. So aligning with our intention, with our aspiration, can also be useful to reflect from time to time on what a rare and fortunate thing it is to be here, to have access to the Buddha's teachings, and to have the conditions be right in our lives in order to take time out to practice meditation. It's really rare in this world. And the practice, the practice of meditation is like a a sparkling jewel at the heart of the Buddha's teachings. It's really the, the means by which we can come to know the truth of the teachings in our own experience. Sometimes we forget when it's just another long day of breathing in and breathing out and placing one foot in front of another with whatever's arising inside. It can be easy to forget that this is an amazing thing that we're doing. Just that process of learning how to wholeheartedly show up. Show up moment after moment with whatever those moments are holding in order to learn, to come to a deeper understanding. It becomes so clear in doing that, that very simple yet not necessarily always easy process of showing up, it becomes so clear where we're struggling, where we're waging war with our own experience, or with the world around us, where we're in a battle. And we don't learn this by manipulating our experience in any way. It's not as though we're trying to create some particular state, some blissful state, in order to be able to reside there. We can't cause happiness to arise. We can't make it stay. But we can learn to see what 
are the obstructions? What gets in our way? What blocks us from having a peaceful heart? And this really simple act of showing up, cultivating that wholehearted presence is how we do this. So we develop the tool of mindfulness, which helps us connect with what's happening, with the truth of our experience in any moment. In a way, the quality of mindfulness is lighting up what we weren't seeing before, lighting up or dispelling the darkness of delusion, the places of disconnect within ourselves and with the world around us, not in a judgmental or critical way. We just practice showing up, seeing what's there, all of it. And as we do this process, this kind of exploration, over and over again, over the course of the hours and days and weeks, as we do it to the best of our ability with clarity, without resistance, we're really aligning ourselves with a very powerful non-interfering, non-reactive awareness. And it's really the knowing faculty of mind, that non-interfering awareness. It's not something that we need to create. It's actually always there, but usually it's colored by all the different mental states that come and go, cravings and aversions, excitement, calm, joy, any of the different mental states. They're all passing, coming through, and coloring that knowing mind. So it's important to recognize that. What's the mind like when it's colored by aversion? Or when it's colored by joy? Can we be present with all of it? This act of coming into that kind of wholehearted presence in our bodies, in our hearts, opens up so much more of life. It really begs the question, can we afford to let life pass without doing this? And that question, I think, points, of, points to one of the many paradoxes in practice. And that is sort of balancing the need to relax as we practice. Really deeply relax and take a very big perspective on things. Balancing that with the sense that the sense of urgency, that this moment is all we have. We don't know. Life is fleeting. 
And I think when we can learn to hold both of those truths in some kind of balance, we're wholeheartedly present and also very patient, spacious. This is a poem from Ryokan, the 18th, living, who lived in 18th century Japan. His poems all have a tone of that quality of wholehearted presence and also a great ease, a great simplicity. The autumn night has lengthened and the cold has begun to penetrate my mattress. My 60th year is near, yet there is no one to take pity on this weak old body. The rain has finally stopped. Now just a thin stream trickles from the roof. All night the incessant cry of insects wide awake, unable to sleep. Leaning on my pillow, I watch the pure, bright rays of sunshine. He's so at home in his aging body, with the rain on the roof, even in his loneliness and also so present with the light as it streams in, in the morning. This practice of meditation is really a wonderful training in making ourselves at home here, in this world of sights and sounds and sensations, thoughts, feelings, emotions. It's a great training in establishing ourselves more and more fully in the quality of mind that knows these experiences. Knowing a breath, this body, this mind, knowing aversion, knowing clinging. It takes such a willingness to look deeply at ourselves, at what goes on in our inner world, and how we relate to our experience. Along with willingness, it takes, at times, a great compassion. We sit, we pay attention, we're fully present for a moment. We wake up from the dream of not knowing. and We have a moment of clear seeing. And the wisdom factor is being developed. But it's essential that that clear seeing is balanced with compassion, that great willingness of heart. 
that willingness or that spaciousness is essential because often what we're seeing isn't necessarily what we would like to be seeing or at least sometimes it isn't what we'd like to be seeing. But it's all equally important. Opening to painful arisings can be a doorway into a greater presence and a deeper understanding. Not opening to it, we cut ourselves off. We shut down our capacity to be fully alive. So compassion is the juice in the practice, the connection with life. And it's not theoretical. It's a very natural unfolding. Often we tend to struggle a bit first when something's coming up that's not particularly pleasant. Hindrances, something difficult. Sometimes we do a dance of kind of struggling with it before we remember, oh yeah, can I be with this? Can I see this clearly? I have a friend who for a while was very much into the practice of Aikido. And he shared this short passage with me that I think is really relevant to practice. This is from a book about Aikido, although you wouldn't know it (laughs) right away. This is a passage. The Mohawk Indians, who live not far from me in Vermont, have a tremendous feeling of anger. They believe they face real genocidal opposition on the part of the whites. To deal with their feelings, they have a traditional ceremony called kill the enemy. Let's say I have an enemy. Let's say it's Yamada, I choose several other people to help me, to join me in a sweat lodge. Our task will be to think of every positive attribute of Yamada. He's tall. He's handsome. He's very strong. He's not lazy. He gets up early. Blah, blah, blah. We do that for a set period of time maybe a few hours. By the end of that time, since only his positive aspects have been focused on, we've essentially killed the enemy. He's too good to be our enemy. We like him too much. We're in harmony. Pretty soon it's impossible for me to remember Yamada was my enemy. In a way, that story is uh, kind of more of a meta-story because it's about focusing on the good in someone 
and the transformation that happens in our hearts when we do that. But I also really like it as a metaphor for practice in general because of the tendency we have to make enemies out of the different difficult or painful aspects of our experience. And in Aikido, my friend told me, when someone attacks, that forceful energy is not met with resistance. You don't fight with it. One meets it and flows with it, redirects it in a sense, and the situation shifts. It transforms into something that's no longer harmful to either party. There's even a teaching, my friend said, that the attacker is, one is to understand that the attacker is offering the gift of their energy. And the Aikido practitioner is to be grateful for that. So what if we had that kind of understanding or willingness to meet whatever we have coming up in our practice that feels like an obstacle? To have that such a deep willingness that we could even be grateful. And then to meet that energy and flow with it redirect it. It's a really wise and compassionate response. So as we practice over the course of a day, sitting, walking, eating, everything else that we do with that kind of intentionality, that kind of wholehearted presence, we're really developing that skill to meet whatever comes up so that we're not derailed, so that we can use the energy of whatever's arising for seeing clearly, for understanding more deeply. And again, can we trust our practice to be that simple? To simply be alert and receptive as sensations come and go, or emotions, or smells, or tastes, or images in the mind, Can we see it all as mental and physical phenomena arising and passing away within the field of our awareness? As we do this, the sense of I and mine begins to drop away or become more transparent. This is really liberating. One of my favorite teachings of the Buddha is when he said, in the seeing there is just what is seen. In the hearing there is just what is heard. And so on through all of the senses and also thought. In the thinking 
there is just what is thought. It's such a radical teaching, but it's so basic, so simple. I think it's almost in its simplicity that makes it easy to overlook or to forget. But we know that even a moment of that kind of experience, that kind of fullness of presence, can be transforming. I remember on one of my very early retreats, which was just a weekend, it was a very small retreat in a room about a quarter of this size, about eight of us practicing. And I felt really happy to be there. It was beginner's mind, I think. (laughs) Things were just flowing along. It was quite lovely, quiet in the countryside. And then there was this fly buzzing around the light bulb, the light on the ceiling. And it just seemed to get louder and louder, perhaps as I got quieter and quieter. And it was really annoying. And I remember thinking, why doesn't somebody do something about that fly? You know, it's really very nice in here and very quiet and feels like the meditation's going pretty well, but the fly is, you know, really a problem. And then at some point, the teacher said, actually he asked, what's happening right now? He asked, is it sound or is it noise? And just that question brought me into a different relationship with the sound. And of course, it was sound, and it was my resistance, my finding it unpleasant, wanting it to go away, that made it a problem, that made it noise. And in that moment when I looked and I really paid attention to the experience very directly, it actually became really interesting. There was quite a lot of vibration and uh, fluctuation. There was a lot there to be interested in. a prisoner practicing meditation while incarcerated wrote this really short poem. It's called Open and Closing Cell Door. Cell door makes magic melody when I'm waiting to exit. Cell door clangs discordant cacophony when I'm trying to sleep. 
But when I am just being, so is the cell door. It's a powerful moment when we shift into just being. Just being with what is. Interested in what's happening. And I think the incredibly good news about practice is that we only ever, all we ever need to do is to start where we are with whatever is happening. So if it's a hindrance, then we're paying attention to that. We're mindful of that. If it's a factor of awakening, then we're paying attention to that. We're knowing that. Here's some advice from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Don't be too timid or squeamish about your reactions. All life is an experiment. The more experiments you make, the better. It's good advice, I think. So can we take the day as an experiment, an experiment in living? What's it like to be reactive? fearful, angry, or doubting? What's it like to be calm, concentrated, interested? What are the qualities of those states? How do we feel? How do we know them? Can we get really interested? in what's happening. That quality of interest is such a key component in meditation practice. It's really what draws us in, brings us closer to our experience. In a sense, enables us to befriend what's happening, even if it might be something we don't like. Can we even be interested in those times in practice when it feels like nothing's happening? No big storms moving through, no great moments of understanding blooming, just sort of plugging along showing up as best as we're able. Sometimes those are the harder moments to be with. If we're used to having more stronger energetic experiences. Sometimes having that feeling that nothing's happening, we can feel like we should stir something up. That something, something's wrong. 
But sometimes that stillness can be just the quiet of non-reactivity, non-clinging. Or the stillness of some equanimity in practice. When we're just not really being pulled in to different energies, different storms. We all know how to do this. We all do this in many different moments throughout the day. Anytime we're really present. Just a moment of seeing clearly without trying in any way to manipulate our experience, to change it, to fix it, to improve it. It's actually so much easier to be without trying to change our experience. And I think it's a deep habit for some of us to sort of fiddle with our experience or our practice. Thinking that somehow manipulating our experience will be able to improve it in some way. And it's a struggle that at times, anyway, can alienate us from ourselves, disconnect us from just resting in the truth of what's happening. The Tibetan teacher Dilgo Kense Rinpoche said this, the everyday practice is simply to develop a complete acceptance and openness to all situations and emotions, and to all people, experiencing everything totally without mental reservations and blockages, so that one never withdraws or centralizes into oneself. Complete acceptance. That acceptance piece is so critical in terms of ending the battles that we wage in ourselves and also in terms of being able to meet whatever's happening and learn from it rather than be ruled by it. So there's no wrong experience in practice. Nothing needs to be excluded. It's not about experience. It's much more about those qualities of wholeheartedness, intention, kindness. Practicing opening to whatever's happening, being present for the truth of our lives without clinging, without resistance, without confusion. 
And doing this, we really do grow in understanding and come to a place of deeper peace, deeper freedom. I'd like to close with uh, these words from another Tibetan teacher, Lama Gendong Rinpoche. He said, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already there in relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do. Don't believe in the reality of good and bad experiences. They're like rainbows. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you relax this grasping, space is there, open, inviting, comfortable. So make use of it. All is yours already. Don't search any further. Nothing to do, nothing to force, nothing to want, and everything happens by itself. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.